We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 113 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show as I break down everything from SEC Media Days, including Will Muschamp, Brian Edwards, TJ Brunson, and Jake Bentley's comments from today. Also, some news and notes to get to your listener questions and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks quarterback Corey Jenkins as we discuss being a first-round MLB draft pick, him playing quarterback for the Gamecocks from 2001 to 2002, beating Clemson his full year starting at quarterback in 2002, getting drafted by the Dolphins in 2003, being a strength coach for South Carolina from 2016 to 2018, his current coaching ventures, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, there's a podcast written to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one I would recommend. SeatGeek, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com and use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. At SeatGeek, they have literally anything and everything you want tickets to. They've got it. they got everything you need from South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, MLB, NHL, NBA, NFL, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, you name it. Anything and everything you need tickets to, it does not have to be sports. Again, go download the app. They've actually got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know if you're getting a really, really good deal, if you're getting a steal, you know if you're getting ripped off, and you have peace of mind before you click that buy button. They make ticket buying super simple, super easy. So again, please go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com, and when you do, Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, is always coming to you. Massive show. Got a packed show, obviously, SEC media days for the Gamecocks. Wrapping up on Wednesday afternoon as Will Muschamp takes the podium along with bringing along Jake Bentley, TJ Brunson, and Brian Edwards. Um, kind of want to break down some of the comments, obviously give you guys a full recap of what happened on SEC media days. Um, I, I'll start it off with this. You know, I, I talked about before on Monday's show, SEC media days, one of the most fun times for me of the year because obviously we all – we all get a little taste of football, right? Football is finally back. It's the unofficial kickoff for SEC football, if you will. Um, but I'll be honest, since the days of Steve Spurrier, since he left, there really hasn't been anything really earth-shattering, I guess you will, to get to in regards to SEC media days, what these coaches are saying. And 
not to ruin or spoil the show, but I feel like this was kind of more the same, if you will. There were a lot of questions that a lot of things that we could have predicted were asked by Will Muschamp. Uh, some things that we couldn't predict that I'll get to in just a second. But just breaking down Will Muschamp's comments and some of my key takeaways. You know, the first thing that he was obviously asked about, and it's to no surprise, is the schedule. I think that's something that was echoed over and over again. Um, you know, I obviously love his outlook on the schedule, the way they're looking at it, as far as it's an opportunity. It's not something they're cowering away from. They're embracing the tough schedule because, you know, everyone wants to ask, you know, how do you prepare that? I think there was one reporter that asked, you know, who did you piss off to have such a tough schedule this year? And, you know, Will Muschamp's approach to it was more so, you know, we have a tough schedule every year. You know, we, we, we have this tough of a slate every year, and this is who we have to play, and this is why you come to South Carolina. You know, it's funny, not just Will Muschamp. I feel like all of these coaches are pretty much doing that, especially, I don't know if any of you guys saw Jeremy Pruitt on Tuesday, but he was so long in what he was saying. He was brutal in this. But all these coaches, I feel like, at SEC Media Days, because of the advance, the, the recruiting now is so ramped up with signing day being in December, I feel like a lot of guys, they're more so using this platform to recruit. They're more so using this platform to sell their university, to sell playing time, to sell the culture, whatever they're trying to sell. And I felt like Will Muschamp did that a little bit as well. He's like, you know, you come to South Carolina to play these type of schedules. You come to South Carolina to play these teams, beat these teams, et cetera. And I just think that uh, he definitely did that a little bit with the schedule. But obviously the schedule was something that was brought up multiple times over and over again. Again, something that I thought we uh, – we all expect, you know, just just kind of taking a step back and backtracking a little bit, just talking about Will Muschamp's demeanor. You know, I thought Will Muschamp's demeanor at SEC Media Days this year, you know, usually Will Muschamp, and again, he was this year too. He's very interactive with the media. He likes to cut jokes and, you know, talk crap to the media guys because he obviously knows a bunch of them because he was at Florida and now he's at South Carolina. He's been to many, many, many media days. Um, but I thought this year, from what I took away, and this could be completely off basis. If it is, let me know. But to me, he seemed almost more business-like approach. Like, you you could kind of tell that – I don't want to say the pressure is on because I don't think any real pressure, like hot seat pressure. But I think he's sort of like – he understands the task at hand. He looked like a guy to me very much business-like approach. He seemed like a guy to me that was very locked in, laser-focused, and I think is just eager to get his team back on the field because, again – South Carolina did not finish well. I mean, you didn't score the last six quarters that you played in 2018. You were shut out in the belt in the uh, the belt bowl against Virginia. He looked like a coach and sounded like a coach to me again. That was just he's just ready to get on the football field. I mean, we know Will Muschamp is a football guy, um, without a doubt. He actually made a great football guy comment today, and I don't want to rip off the guys from pardon my take, but he he made he made a great football comment today. Football guy comment about he's not an apps guy. It's like Will Muschamp's only a football guy. That's all he does. But, uh, no, I, I just feel like Will Muschamp seemed very professional, very businesslike. He just seemed very locked in. He wasn't quite as loosey-goosey as maybe we saw him last year or maybe wasn't quite as charismatic or enthusiastic as we've seen him the last couple of times. He seemed very locked in. I think it's just simply to do with because I think, again, I don't want to say he's starting to feel the pressure because I don't think there's any serious pressure of, oh, you're going to lose your job if South Carolina doesn't do well. But I think he just, again, understands the task at hand. He's surrounded by Clemson and Georgia and understands South Carolina fans' uh, concerns and frustrations and, you know, complaints about wanting to get to that level. And I think he, seen, you know, he just seems like a coach to me personally that he was locked in. He's ready to go and, you know, doing everything in his power to make that happen. Obviously, getting onto the field, what he talked about with on, on, relating to on the field. Um, the big thing today is simply put, obviously, Jake Bentley made the trip as well. Um, one of the Gamecocks player representatives. 
Protecting the football, though. That, that was a huge thing, protecting the football. Talking about Jake Bentley's 14 interceptions, I believe, which is six of which were in the red zone. Cutting down on the turnovers, protecting the football. I mean, I, I think it was interesting to hear Will Muschamp talking about the offense. Um, you know, obviously, limiting the turnovers, protecting the football was a huge one. I know the turnover margin is probably something they're definitely preaching in the offseason. We'll be preaching in fall camp because – you know, South Carolina didn't do a great job at getting the ball off of people either. Not nearly as good as they did in 2017. So, um, protecting the football. He also mentioned less drops as well. He mentioned the Gamecocks finished with 20, I think, over 20 drops, um, which was a huge issue a season ago, obviously, um, breaking that down. Obviously mentioned the running backs as well, the lack of production from the running backs. Um, you know, they're talking about they need to find a guy that can break tackles and get through the hole and give them, you know, be productive at the, in, in the backfield. So, uh, I, again, pretty standard stuff as far as talking about the offense. The defense was interesting, though. He, he definitely mentioned that the defense needed to be better. He actually said on the Paul Feinbaum show, and I quote, we stunk on defense last year. I, I mean, that's pretty harsh. I'm not going to lie to you. That is pretty harsh. He said, quote, we stunk on defense last year. Um, obviously, the big thing is they need to be healthy. You know, he talked a lot about his seniors up front. You have Javon Kinlaw, Keir Thomas. Danny Fennell, DJ Wanham, and Kobe Smith. He talked a lot about those five guys, talking about how they really need to have a great year. It reminded me a lot of when he came to SEC media days and before the season in 2017. Because if you remember, that defensive line as well, that defensive front, depending on a lot of veteran players. You're talking about Sky Moore, Dante Sawyer, Taylor Stallworth, Ulrich Jones. This feels very, very similar, in which he's really challenged his seniors, challenged his older guys in the front seven, um, and, I mean, he's right. They're going to need to have big years for this defense to have a big year because I don't care how many of the skill guys you have in the secondary. If you're not good on the line of scrimmage, you're not going to be a very good defense, period. So, I, I agree with them. This defense needs to have a big year as far as the line of scrimmage is concerned. Um, but, again, pretty standard stuff as far as just, you know, saying the Gamecocks need to improve offensively, defensively. Um, I thought one thing that was interesting that he brought up was their leave no doubt uh, he mentioned that a couple of times. I feel like it's a new mantra for the Gamecocks. Basically, he just talked about, you know, we focused on leaving no doubt this offseason, um, doing everything you can in workouts, everything you can, you know, every drill you do, every little thing you do, leave no doubt. So I think that's something interesting that South Carolina is sort of preaching now. Again, it's just an offseason mantra. I don't think it's anything to look into or anything like that. But, uh, you know, definitely just, I guess, just interesting in regards to what the South Carolina football program is doing. Like I already mentioned, you know, very businesslike to me. He knows this is a really important season. I think Will Muschamp definitely understands it's an important season. He knows the task at hand. He knows how difficult the schedule is. He knows the success that his biggest rivals are having. And I think he understands that this is just, this is an important season for the tra trajectory of the program and the way that the program is going. Because I, you know, I, I talked about, you know, we've already, I've already done my predictions with Brad Crawford on last, during last week, and I, I talked about it already. I think a 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five season keeps you kind of where you are. You're not going to lose any ground as a program or lose any ground as far as progress is concerned, what you're doing in the program. But anything worse than 6-6, six and six, and there's going to be a lot of question marks about what this program, where this program is headed under Will Muschamp. And obviously, anything better than seven and five. And people are going to feel really good about where this program is headed. So, again, I think Will Muschamp understands, and this team, I would feel, understands the task at hand. They understand what needs to be done. They do. And they know how important this season is. So, I think that's just, uh, it was interesting to see his approach in regards to that. Um, I talked about there were some good questions asked, some bad ones. The Clemson little brother question. 
Um, in case you guys missed it, there was a question who I don't even want to give the journalist credit. I really don't because he's a complete cornball. Um, he's a complete cornball. Um, I, I, I called him out on social media. He, he tried to come clap back, I guess, if you will. And, uh, say that the question was really good. Actually, if he just, he said he didn't allow me to finish my question. It was a legit question though. It was a legit question when you ask someone, Hey, um, I, yeah, Clemson in your state, they, uh, they have, uh, they've been dominant and you're their little brother. How do you feel about that? Like, did you think, I mean, the guy that asked that question, did he think about the question before he asked it? Like, was it, are you that stupid that you're going to ask that question and think it's going to go well? I mean, especially the way you, you verbiaged it, like the way you, you, you asked it to. Like, there's no way that question can go through your mind. You're thinking, I'm going to get a positive result from this question. Like, go, bro, go ahead. Ask away. Ask whatever questions you want. But that's the type of cornballs that are SEC media days. So if you ever wonder why there are these stupid questions asked, it's because you have these type of cornballs that are sitting in the crowd that have a microphone that were given credentials by some, some company that obviously does not know what the hell they're doing sending guys like that. So, teach, okay, whatever. Al, I think he's Alabama touched or Alabama sports something, whatever. Hey, teaches on. He's an Alabama guy. It's, it's just funny, though. It's funny that an Alabama guy is asking that question to Will Muschamp when Will Muschamp's team competed against Clemson better than Alabama did. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. So I have my I have my stance. You guys know where I stand on that. Um, some other news and notes that Will Muschamp touched on. I want to get to real quickly. Again, guys, as much as I, you know, there's only so much to break down from SEC Media Days and what Will Muschamp said and what Jake Bentley and Brian Edwards and. T.J. Brunson said, I mean, really, again, this big this event, and that's one thing that's kind of – it's kind of taken some flair and fun out of it. This event – I mean, I remember back in – you know, and obviously South Carolina was really, really good when this happened too, so that probably helped. But back in the days when Spurrier and Clowney and Shaw were going, and, I mean, Clowney was saying quarterbacks were scared of him, and Spurrier was jawing off at the mouth about Georgia and Tennessee, and like, you just don't have that flair. and There's no sauce to it anymore. It's all plain. There's no sauce to SEC media days anymore, I feel like. I don't know. So, as much as I want to break it down, there's only so much you can break down from the, the basic generic comments. And they've got all these guys program what to say. But overall, you guys know how I felt about Will Muschamp. Some other news and notes that I want to get to that he got to. Um, first off, safety Jalen Dickerson out for the season. Um, just terrible news. I mean, a guy that has battled injury unlike anybody else out for the season – um, I don't – I can't believe I don't have it pulled up in front of me. I believe it's a uh, – it, it's it's like a on his femur. It's some bone growth on his femur, I believe. He's out. But either way, he's out. Will Muschamp says he'll be back in the spring. But, you know, just tough for that kid. I mean, that kid has been through so many injuries. It, it's crazy to think. Other, other big piece of news, obviously, a player's report on August the 1st and fall practice officially begins. August 2nd, Friday, August the 2nd. I know everybody will be fired up for that. I know I'm fired up for it. Just to think the football is literally two weeks away. Fall practice is literally two weeks away. And you're listening to this on Thursday. We are 44 days from kickoff. It, it's, it's real. It's getting here. It's crazy. It is real. Um, all right, let's get into your listener questions. We've actually got a couple of voicemails as well. Got two voicemails, and I'm very excited to play. A couple of people try, decided to call in. Um, Going to go ahead and start uh, – yeah, we'll start with the voicemails, and then we'll get to the listener questions from Instagram. Let's go ahead and start with these voicemails. 
Hey, Chris, it's Anthony. I just wanted to get your opinions on Clemson's schedule every year, on how they play a bunch of clown teams, and South Carolina has a way tougher schedule each year. And if we were to join the ACC, do you think we would be as good as Clemson? Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Thank you, Anthony, for that voicemail. Sorry for guys if you hear any like static there. I don't know what that was. But to Anthony with a question basically is asked, your opinion on Clemson's schedule every year. They they play a bunch of clown teams. Um, they have a weak schedule, basically. Do you think South Carolina would be as good as Clemson if they played that schedule? Listen, you know, South Carolina was in the ACC at one point. Their one conference title came there. I mean, listen, it's I hate talking about this because there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, listen, Clemson's in the ACC, South Carolina's in the SEC, and that's how it is. And that's how it's going to be. You know, this, this what-if hypothetical game. I mean, listen, we all know the ACC's a joke. It is a joke. But Clemson's really, really, really good, as much as it pains me to say. Clemson is really good. Now, the one thing I will argue, you know, again, it's a hypothetical, and it's pointless arguing it, but, yes, if South Carolina was in the ACC from 2010 to 13, I think the Gamecocks have at least one national title. I mean, this is not even a question. Not even a question. I think the Gamecocks have multiple conference championships. Like, not even a question. They would have ran through the ACC. Clemson was the cream of the crop, really, those years and got slapped by South Carolina five years in a row. I mean, those games really were not all that close. So, in that regard, I can see, I mean, right now, I mean, it may make a win or two difference, but, I mean, it's hard. I'll tell you this. It's hard for a Gamecock fan to stand on that merit after the belt bowl. I mean, the Gamecocks need to go out and take care of business against North Carolina, and then we can start really dogging and trashing the, uh, the ACC like that, which, I mean, it's still trash. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. Right now, I just – I don't know that I really want to live in that hypothetical just because of what's – how that Virginia game went. But, I mean, yes, you make a point. Their schedule sucks, but part of it has to do with Clemson is very, very good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that powers like Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech are – are down. I mean, the second best team in the ACC is who? Syracuse? I mean, Syracuse isn't a football school. Come on. So, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. It, it, you make a great point. You make a great point. The ACC is garbage, no doubt. All right, let's get into our, uh, our second voicemail here. What's going on, man? This is just John from Instagram. Um, just wanted to call and comment on, you know, one of your tweets earlier this week about, you know, South Carolina not getting some respect during these media days and, you know, with their, uh, social media or commercials or whatever. Um, but I couldn't, you know, agree more, man, I, but this has gone on for, you know, almost 10 years in my opinion. I mean, um, you know, even when we were beating people, you know, every year, you know, big schools, you know, the national media would never cover it. I mean, you know, that we'd smack, smack Georgia, you know, by 30 points and, you know, nobody in the national media would cover it and wasn't a big deal, but God forbid, if you didn't know, uh, you know, a non-power five school beat, you know, an FCS school or something that week. Um, but uh, man, I feel like South Carolina's always had that chip on their shoulder, but I mean, you can see in some of these, uh, media analysts, you know, who played at Willie B, you know, and some of these, you know, active players that, they know what it's about. They know, they they know who we are. They they know what you know this this stadium and this atmosphere is like. But um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about you know South Carolina doesn't have any tradition. I mean, and, you know, it doesn't have this, doesn't have that, man. 
But in my opinion, South Carolina's got the best tradition, you know, in the country. Because you can come to South Carolina as a fan, player, whatever, and create whatever you want it to be. You know, that's why, you know, I love bringing, you know, family from out of town that, you know, don't have SEC schools near where they live. And they love South Carolina because every time they come, they can create what they want their experience to be. You know, every time they come is different. You know, and, and that's how all these recruits need to, you know, act is you can come and create your legacy. You can come and create this. You can create what you want South Carolina to be. And that's just how I am, man. I, I, I like, you know, I don't, I don't mind a little bit of disrespect just because I, I'm a chippy guy. I, I like playing with a chip on my shoulder, and I hope these players do. Uh, as always, man, I love the show and go Cox. All right. Hey, John, appreciate that voicemail. That was an awesome voicemail, man. There's a lot to, uh, lot to unpack there. I, you know, I want to start with, uh, you know, the disrespect thing. I, obviously, like, like you said, I tweeted out, uh, you know, a couple of days ago that I just felt like South Carolina, you know, well, I don't even know about if getting, you know, well, it is the right word. They, they're not getting any respect, but it seems like there's, there's absolutely no hype around this South Carolina team and program right now. And you know what I think, John? I think that, a lot of it goes into the media is very like once you burn the media, they have a hard time trusting you again. Like I think last year, South Carolina was everybody's sexy pick, you know, to finish second in the SEC East was South Carolina was going to challenge Georgia for the East. And when South Carolina made everybody look stupid, pretty much when they got blown out week two at home, like once it's kind of like, dating somebody you're having a girlfriend once you break their trust once like it's hard for them to ever trust you again so like the media never trusts South Carolina and especially at any team when you pick a team to do really really well and they stink it up and make you look stupid and it blows up in your face you're not going to be as likely to even cover them or pick them to do well so I think a lot of that is stemming from the way South Carolina the way their season went a year ago I really think that has a lot to do with it um but, man, I love what you said about South Carolina. I completely agree with you. I mean, if you're Will Muschamp, exactly the way Steve Spurrier did, I mean, that's your biggest recruiting pitch at South Carolina. It's like, listen, you can go to Alabama. You can go to Georgia. You can go to Oklahoma. You can go to Southern Cal. You can go to Texas. And you can be another guy. And you can – they've got – listen, they've got the, ch- the trophies, the championships. Um, they've got it all. You know, they, they've got the history, the tradition. But you can, co- you can go there and be another guy and – you know, do what you need to do, do there, maybe get a ring or so, but you, or you can come to South Carolina and you can be a legend. You can be a legend and go down in history and build your own tradition, your own legacy. You know, it's something Steve Spurrier talked about. You know, he talked about, uh, he talked about in an interview, you know, you know, his favorite game at South Carolina was the 2011, I believe it was a uh, capital one bowl against Nebraska. And they asked him why. And he said, you know why? Because when they pulled up, they saw Nebraska's bus with all those rings and all the, their conference championships, national championships, and Steve Spurrier turned to his team and said, you know what, guys, we don't have any of that. We don't have any of those trophies or those, those championships, those rings. When that ball is spotted, none of that's going to matter. None of that's going to matter. The better team is going to win. And, again, if you're Will Muschamp, that's got to be your recruiting pitch. It's like, listen, you can go to Bama, Georgia, all these other big schools and – Kind of fall in line, you know, wait till your you know, late sophomore or junior year to play and maybe get a ring. Or you come to South Carolina and truly build a legacy. Be loved and endeared forever. Do something that's never been done here. Because it's crazy to think as much as Steve Spurrier accomplished and did, I mean, there's more that he didn't do. There's honestly probably more that he didn't do than he did do. So you've got to definitely sell that to recruits. I appreciate it, John. That was an awesome voicemail. And I really do appreciate you uh, 
supporting the show and tuning in as well. Uh, all right, let's get in these listener questions on Instagram. Um, Stephen Phillips is real. How excited are you about Jamel Cook? Um, you know, obviously he was very, very good in the spring game. Um, I think a guy a lot of Gamecock fans were surprised and not see on the two deep. I'm kind of waiting and see with Jamel Cook simply because just because a guy balls out in the spring game does not mean he's going to be an all-world guy. I mean, how many guys have we seen have a fantastic spring game that never touched the field? So, I mean, listen, I, I was excited about him when they first got him. He's a 6'4 safety, and you feel like – I mean, he was a five-star recruit. You feel like a guy – this is a guy that should come in and contribute immediately. This feels like a guy that should play a ton, make a big-time contribution. So, I'm excited, but I'm cautiously optimistic as well. Um, okay, a couple of questions here from Tory underscore BH. SC wins UK game. So, South Carolina wins the Kentucky game by three prior to Georgia. What causes us to lose against Georgia if it's a nail-biter? Um, what causes us to lose? I mean, I just think the fact that Georgia probably overall has – I mean, definitely has overall more talent than South Carolina right now. And I think uh, it'll be a challenge for the Gamecocks to, to stop the run, you know, to, to put last year out of their memory banks and go into that game and be physical and stop the run, give their offense a chance. Um, so, I mean, I think that's – South Carolina loses that game. It's going to come down to simply Georgia wearing down the South Carolina defense – um, Jake Bentley's ability to play in a big game on the road. Obviously, he did it at Clemson, but to be able to do it again um, against the Georgia defense will be really talented this year. Um, to go into a hostile environment in Sanford Stadium and get a win there is obviously tough. So, you know, I've already predicted I've got Georgia winning that one, but I, I you know, and those are going to be probably the reasons why Georgia will get the win if they do. So, um, Tori's next question USC starts four and one after a close Kentucky game. What's the Bama loss score in your opinion? Um, I've already given my predictions, Tori, last week. I had the Gamecocks losing that one 38-17. to 17. You know, I, I just think right now, I mean, I, Bama's probably the opponent that scares me the most on the schedule. I, they just do. I'm just – I'm not sold on the whole, you know, Bama got exposed last year and, you know, Bama's mortal and the dynasty's over. I'm not buying into that at all. Um, that game scares me. Again, I, I've said before on this show, and I hate to say it, but it's just being honest. If Bama is still a 17 or 18 point favorite, I would hammer Bama. I just, I hate to say it too. Because, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm hoping that I lose. I'm hoping that I'm wrong. But that, that's going to be, to me, the toughest game of the season for South Carolina. It's going to be, I hate the game as far as matchups are concerned. And I don't know. I, I, I've got Bama winning that one 38 17, though. Um, Tori also says USC beats North Carolina 31 20 due to fourth quarter turnovers. Who on the squad deserves the game ball? We got a lot of hypotheticals here, Tori. Um, if that happens, I mean, I think probably a guy like, uh, Javon Kinlaw, if, if South Carolina score, if South Carolina forces a couple turnovers, which hopefully they do, uh, Javon Kinlaw will have a big impact in that disrupting the pocket. I think JC Horn hopefully gets his first interception in that game. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the first two that come to my head. Uh, capped underscore way. Do you think in Todd Ellis's playing days, he had his commentary voice in his head? I mean, I can't even imagine. Every time he throws a touchdown, are you kidding me? I, I just can't imagine. I, I don't know. I, I mean, do you think he had his voice commentary in his head when he was throwing all those picks, too? I mean, no offense. The guy threw like 70 interceptions in four years. So, <laughs> uh, Matty Ice underscore 006. Who's the guy nobody is talking about that you think will shine this season? That's a good question. That, that's a good question. That one will make you think a little bit, too. Um, I'll tell you what, the guy nobody's talking about that I want to see shine, honestly, is Jam Williams on defense. I, I just I, – we were so high about him last year, and that transition to safety was really, really tough for him. And I just – I mean, this was a highly touted recruit out of Georgia. South Carolina beat Georgia to get this kid. 
I mean, you've got to think. He's got to stay healthy, too. That was a huge thing that derailed his season last year. But you've got to think Jam's going to have a good season. Like, I really – and nobody's talking about him, obviously, because he was really, really good as a freshman, was hurt, and didn't do anything as a sophomore. I, I just think – I don't know. I, I think that's a guy nobody's talking about that I, I, I think will shine. And then offensively, I'll give you one on offense, too. Uh, I, I think on offense, I think Josh Van. I think Josh Van has the opportunity to have a really big year. And I mean, people are, they know who he is, but I don't think people are really talking about him in that sense. Um, I'd say the other guy, too. I, I tell you what, people know who he is again, but I think a guy that's going to blow up this year is Keel Pollard. I, I mean, after what I, I know I'm sounding, hippo, I'm sounding like a hypocrite because I just said, don't take what you see in the spring game. Take it for, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I, I'm telling you, man. What Keel Pollard did in the spring game, just the physical presence he is and the, the tenacity and the toughness and the nastiness that he plays with, God, I think he could be a great tight end for South Carolina. I think he could be huge this year for the Gamecocks on third down uh, in some tough spots. I, I think he can really be Jake Bentley's safety valve. I just – I'm very high on what Keel Pollard can do this year. Um, let's see. Suleiman.Ahmed, not a question, but we getting eight or more wins. Okay. I got seven and five, but eight certainly possible. K underscore hop 12. Jan Williams was an all SEC freshman. What do you see his role like this year? Kind of ironic since I just said that about Jam. Um, I'm surprised they haven't moved him back to cornerback. I I'll be on it. Cause he just, I mean, that transition to safety did not go like we all thought it would. Cause Jam is a guy to me that needs to be involved. He needs to be involved. He's too good of a playmaker to sit back as a safety and just hope the ball comes his way. I want to see him involved in replay. He'll put him in the nickel. Put him at corner. I mean, he, he's a guy that can play all over the secondary, which is, which is a good thing. Um, you know, so, you know, overall, I mean, I just think that, you know, I think Jam just needs to be more involved, man. I, I just do. I think he needs to be more involved, honestly. And I think he's a guy that, uh, again, I, I expect him to have a bounce back year. He's too good of a player not. He's too good of a player to not have a bounce back year this year. Um. Brett Pine underscore, any legitimate chance we get to see Helensky play this year? I mean, I, again, listen, I think it's going to be in mop-up time mostly. I think the first time Gamecock fans will see Ryan Helensky's week two against Charleston Southern. Um, but the fans that are selfishly hoping that Ryan Helensky takes over the starting quarterback job, unless Jake Bentley is hurt or is literally playing the worst football he's ever played, he's not getting benched. I, I just – I hate – you know, I just – I'm telling you guys that right now – um, you know, we, you know, we're going to see Ryan Helensky play. There's no doubt we're going to see Ryan Helensky pl play some this season, but, uh, you know, it'll be in limited doses, I think in garbage time and hopefully in big wins. So, um, last question here, Matt pack underscore aha. I guess that's how you say it. Uh, coach pissed at that reporter. What can that reporter ask to get back on his good side? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That reporter cannot ask anything else. Absolutely not. Oh, my dude. I mean, I, I, I put it on social media, the caption with that video. If you didn't see it, quote, Muschamp about to come down from the podium and slap the shit out the guy who asked that question. I mean, that's exactly – I mean, dude, Will Muschamp, when he, heard, when he responded to that question, he looked like he wanted to go down there and strangle that kid. I mean, seriously, that, that, was, that was hysterical. That was hysterical, to be honest with you. Um, 
so yeah, that'll do it. Obviously, SEC Media Days in the book. Another year, SEC Media Days officially in the books. Next year, it goes to Atlanta, the College Football Hall of Fame. 2021 goes to Nashville, so it might be a while before SEC Media Days is back at Hoover. But uh, overall, good stuff, obviously. It gives us a little bit to talk about. gives us uh, you know, a little taste of football before we actually get into fall practice, and we really get going, man. It's close. Uh, starting next week, just to give you guys a spoiler, we'll start the, uh, the season preview series. Um, not sure the order, but we'll be breaking down offense, defense, special teams. Obviously, I've already given you guys the predictions, but I'll start uh, actually previewing each unit. Obviously, doing the position unit previews right now uh, through the Daily Crow. So, I know you guys enjoy those, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. But make sure you check those out. Did the offensive line on Tuesday. I believe doing quarterbacks on Thursday, if you're listening to this today. Um, but very excited about that, obviously. Obviously, a lot of stuff going on. Everything ramps up as we get closer to football season and definitely in football season. Things are full speed and uh, really, really excited, man. There's some things coming that you guys don't even know about that's going to be a game changer for the content. That's going to be able to bring you guys even more fire content. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it on the down low until it's actually official. But, uh, you know, maybe you'll be excited, maybe you won't. But it, it'll be – it's a huge thing for me. It's a huge monumental step and a huge monumental uh, – event in regards to the Spurs Up show, the growth of the Spurs Up show, the type of content that could be produced for you guys because it's all about the fans, obviously, and you guys getting value out of what I'm doing and what I'm producing, what I'm saying, things of that nature. And obviously, I want to say from the bottom of my heart again, I appreciate the support, appreciate all you guys tuning in. Um, the one thing, one favor I guess I will ask, if you, if you guys would, if you're listening to the show right now, click the pause button, go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Buzzsprout, wherever you listen to us. Do me a favor, leave a five-star review. I would appreciate if you left like a one-sentence review with it as well. But if not, just leave the five stars. Helps other Gamecocks find us. Obviously, it looks really good on the Spurs Up show to have as many five-star reviews as possible. And if you do have any feedback as well, let me know directly. You can leave the review there or let me know directly. I love to hear from the listeners. Love to hear you guys' thoughts and feedbacks. And in any way, maybe you think I can improve the show if I'm doing something well. If you want to tell me that is why. You know, I appreciate all the feedback. Um, okay, let's get in this interview. Had a fantastic interview for you guys or have a fantastic interview for you guys. Former Gamecocks quarterback Corey Jenkins. It's funny, Corey, first off, fantastic dude. But I learned a lot about Corey I did not know. Um, I honestly, funny story, I had no idea he was drafted first round overall by the Boston Red Sox. Um, before, I didn't realize he was a 24-year-old junior at South Carolina, 25-year-old junior or senior or whatever at South Carolina. So crazy stuff. But we talk a lot about – you know, him being drafted by the Boston Red Sox, his path through minor league baseball, going back to college, playing for Lou Holtz, you know, beating Clemson, uh, being the full-time starting quarterback in 2002. Um, you know, his favorite memories as a Gamecock, obviously, again, his funniest Lou Holtz story, which is something you really want to stick around for. Um, playing pro football, you know, obviously he was the Gamecock strength and conditioning coach from 2016 to 2018. So to get the insight from someone that's also in the building, that was in the building with Coach Muschamp, um, very cool stuff there as well, and it's all brought to you by our friends over again at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use. Please go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Even go use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. Listen, you can buy tickets to literally anything and everything. I mean, it's any sporting event you want, uh, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, whatever you need tickets to, but also it's almost getting that time to buy Gamecocks football tickets. It really is. If you're not a season ticket holder and you need to buy tickets – SeatGeek is literally the best place to go. When I've bought tickets before, it's the only place I get tickets from. They honestly, they honestly already have the best prices. Somehow SeatGeek, I feel like, has better prices than everybody else. They're going to have the, the tickets you need. They're, I've already looked. There's a ton of tickets left for every single game. They're going to have the tickets there. Do yourself a favor. Like I mentioned, 
when you download the SeatGeek app, you might be saying to yourself, well, Chris, I've already got a SeatGeek account. Like I can't use it. It's not my first purchase. If you really want to use the account or use the promo code that bad, here's what you do. Download the SeatGeek app, create a new account with a new email, use the promo code. Why not save yourself $10? I mean, just it's, a, it's free. I'm giving you this code to save 10 bucks. Why not go save 10 bucks? So again, download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks quarterback, Corey Jenkins. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played quarterback for the Gamecocks from 2001 to 2002 when he amassed 2,486 all-purpose yards and 14 touchdowns. He was also taken in the first round of the 1995 MLB draft by the Boston Red Sox and was drafted in the sixth round of the 2003 NFL draft by the Miami Dolphins after his South Carolina career. He also spent a short stint with the Gamecocks as strength and conditioning coach and is now an assistant football coach at South Carolina State, coaching tight ends and fullbacks for the Bulldogs. I'm very, very excited to welcome the show. Former Gamecocks quarterback, Corey Jenkins. Corey, appreciate you taking the time, man, and it's a pleasure to have you on. Good, Chris. Yeah, man, how you guys doing? Pleasure to have, pleasure you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely doing well. So like I was talking with you, uh, you know, before the show off air, Corey, I, for one, had no idea. You came up, let's go back to the beginning with you, because you are not just a football player. You are a multi-sport athlete. You come out of Columbia, South Carolina. You went to Dreer High School. Um, you were a three-sport three star, and you were taken in the first round, 24th overall by the Boston Red Sox. So you were one heck of a baseball player. Um, just talk about kind of your life coming up, I guess, you know, especially in high school and when you were taken by the Red Sox. I'm assuming that was a no-brainer. Um, you know, that you would go play baseball. But just kind of talk about your upbringing and, you know, all the different sports that you played. You know, my, my whole thing was, man, um, you know, everybody has a story. You know, um, every athlete has some type of story that people can look at and be like, wow, man, he made it through this, he made it through that. Um, I grew up literally 10-minute walk from William Bryce Stadium. I grew up in a place called Off the Town. And, of course, it wasn't the best of areas to live in. Um, you know, I grew up with a single parent with um, – 11 brothers and sisters, you know? So um, we, we got to the point to where sports was a way out for us. You know, it was a way to keep us kind of out of the streets, out of doing things we didn't have any business. Um, and for myself as a kid, of course, we always, you know, I did things that were wrong and, you know, we, we all done that. But, you know, sports was kind of my saving grace. Um, but I was a pretty good student too. Let me also put that out there that uh, my mom wouldn't have it no other way. Um, if we didn't do well in school, then we didn't play sports. And I love sports enough to do well in school. So, you know, I played football, played basketball, played baseball. You know, I just tried to keep busy year-round. Um, and, uh, you know, going into high school, um, it started off my eighth-grade year. I played varsity baseball in high school. Um, and my brother, D. Jenkins, was a senior at, at high school. And we went. Uh, he went to Dreher High School, and I was at Hand Middle School. Um, and my brother was actually being – um, he was being scouted by scouts as well. And uh, he wound up getting drafted in the 42nd round that year when I was in the eighth grade. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to follow his footsteps. And he saw a bigger picture before I did. You know, as an eighth grader, you just really just want to go out and play. You, you, Of course, we all think, you know, I want to play Major League Baseball. I want to play NFL football. That's just about every athletic kid's dream growing up. And if it's not, then he, he's not, he, he shouldn't even be playing. You know, if kids don't have an inspiration and, and an aspiration to, to get to the big leagues, then, you know, they, they shouldn't do it, you know. And not saying that everybody's going to make it because we know everybody's not going to make it. 
but you got to have that drive to want to do so. And it's a fun thing to do. And again, you know, I, I, I followed my brother's footsteps and he was drafted. And so throughout high school, I just, you know, stuck with football, stuck with baseball. I played basketball um, and just, you know, trying to keep myself busy, trying to be an athlete, trying to be better than my brother was. And my brother was pushing me to be better than he was because he played all three sports. He played football. He played basketball. He played baseball. So, you know, he, he was pushing me to be better. And so I, I thrived to be better. And the next thing you know, you know, I was uh, I started getting recruiting letters in football as a as a freshman in high school, as a ninth grader. Um, and throughout my high school career, you know, the college football letters continued to pour in. And I was wondering why baseball letters wasn't coming. Why wasn't schools recruiting me for baseball? So I started thinking, well, maybe I'm not as good in baseball as as people say I am. But then I started seeing scouts, you know, major league scouts at the baseball games. And my brother then started to inform me, like, hey, man, you, you got a real chance to be a first-round draft pick. And, you know, I don't know when he saw it. He may have saw it when I was a little kid, or he may have saw it after he got drafted. I don't know when he saw it, but he saw it. And he pushed for me to be that way. And the next thing you know, um, I was graduating high school. And on my graduation day, I was drafted by the Red Sox in the first round with the 24th pick. Was baseball your first love or was it just something that you were good at? I mean, what, what, did you prefer baseball over the other, other two sports? It's one of those things where my favorite sport is whatever season it is. You know, I, I could never say I love baseball more than I love football. Or I love football more than I love baseball. My mentality is that of a football player because I am a kind of kind of a very enthusiastic, adrenaline-type guy. And in baseball, you more so got to be kind of calm and laid back and relaxed um, because that's the way you play that game. Football is one of those games, yeah, you're relaxed, but your blood is pumping like no other. And baseball actually gave me and my family uh, a chance to to live a life that I've always dreamed of living. And, you know, that happened. And, you know, when I was a first-round draft pick, I said, man, you know, I would be crazy not to take this money. This is more money than my mom has ever seen in her entire life. You know, she wouldn't have to struggle. She wouldn't have to work if she didn't want to. And so, yes, I do I love baseball? I did. I, I can sit here and watch a full nine-inning baseball game right now. Um, but that was a way for me to repay her for all that she's been through. And I love playing the game, and I was following my brother's footsteps like I wanted because he was in the minor leagues with the Cincinnati Reds at the time. You talked about, Corey, that some other schools, as far as the football side of things, were sending you letters, recruiting you. Was South Carolina amongst those those bunch of schools, or who were the schools oh, that showed you the most interest? Yeah, South, yeah. South, South Carolina was definitely one of them. Um, I got I got some a lot of love from that school up up top by Greenville up there, that orange and white school. Right. Um, I, I got a lot of love from those guys too. Um, and I was recruited by just about everybody in in the Southeastern Conference, um, even some ACC schools. But I think my biggest surprise was I had a, a full scholarship offer from Notre Dame, and that was that was really surprising and shocking to me because you know that's one of them teams you see on TV every Saturday back in those days when. You know, back in the early 90s, you know, mid-90s when Notre Dame was just one of those teams that everybody looked at like, oh, my God, Notre Dame, gold helmets. You know, and, and, and I was pretty excited about that. I had, you know, Georgia. I had Alabama. I had uh, Miami. I had North Carolina State, North Carolina out of ACC. So I had a good bit of schools. And, you know, the, the, 
the choice was really tough at first. But then one morning I woke up and I said, well, why am I making this harder than what it really is? I said, I'm going to South Carolina. I already knew. You know, I knew that from the time I was eight years old. At eight years old, um, with us living 10 minutes from the stadium, we would walk to the stadium and get there early so we could try to get in the game, sell sodas, and sell peanuts. And that was a way for us to make extra money. And so my first game I attended, I didn't make a lot of money because I was so excited and jacked up by all the people in the game and just seeing how big the field look and looking at the players. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play right here at home. And I thought back to those days that one morning when I woke up and I said, that's where I'm going to school. This is where I always wanted to play. I wanted to play in my backyard. And so that's what made me choose South Carolina. So that's who I signed with out of high school. No doubt. So, Corey, let's let's stick with your baseball career for just a second because you played professional baseball in the minor leagues from 1995 to 1999, bounced around from rookie ball to low A to single A to even double A. Um, just cool. kind of just summarize your your minor league career. You were an outfielder, obviously. I mean, what did you learn? What was it like? We obviously, you know, we've talked with uh, some other Carolina baseball players and guys who have played at that level and you know, we all mm-hmm. know about the struggle, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, the bus rides, that, that is all a real thing. Oh, yeah, Just yeah, t- talk yeah. about your experience at the minor leagues. You know, for, for me, it was definitely a, a time for me to grow up and be out on my own. You know, for the first 18 years of my life, I never left home. You know, I've never been away from my mom. You know, I've been out of South Carolina um, to maybe play a game or something somewhere. But or, or go somewhere with my mom, but I've never been away from my mom because, you know, my mom's just, she's been, she was everything to me. She is everything. And for me, you know, it was more so, okay, I know how to do this stuff because I learned it at home. I learned how to cook. I learned how to wash clothes. I learned how to keep my room clean because that's stuff my mom taught us. And playing in the minor leagues, you know, you those bus rides, people, you know, look at them as being really grueling and, and really tough. I look at them I look at them as a very, very good experience. And even then I was like, man, this ain't that bad, you know, even though it was, but you're on a bus with 25, 30 other guys that are from completely different necks of the wood than you are, you know, completely different backgrounds. You know, you got white guys, you got black guys, you got Cubans, you got Puerto Ricans, you got people from everywhere. You got people from Maine, you got guys from Oklahoma, you know, you got from all over the country. And you get to interact with guys, something that a lot of people don't get to do. You get to learn about different cultures. And at one time, I was pretty fluent in Spanish because we had a ton of Spanish guys on our team. And the 15-hour bus rides, you know, I won't say they're all pleasurable, but Again, I look at him as like, I'm not a guy that's afraid to get on the road and travel. So it wasn't that bad to me. Even being that young, I, f- I found it as being exciting. Now, right now, if you tell me I got to get on a bus for 15 hours, I'll be like, <laughs> oh, no, I can't do that. You know, no, nah, that ain't that won't be any fun. But I was just excited to be away from home and just be playing. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where baseball is one of those deals that you have to be mentally strong in order to move forward. It's not about the physical presence. It's not about if you can hit a curveball or if you can hit a changeup. Now you have to do those things. But because the schedule is so grueling for so long, you know, you, you're not playing just on every Saturday or on every Sunday for 10, 10 to 12 weeks. You know, you're playing every day of the week. You might get one, maybe two days off a month 
other than that, you're playing and you're doing that for three or four months at a time. You know, that's, that's pretty tough. People don't think it's grueling, but that's, that's like going to nine to five every day and you love your job. And even though you love your job, it's still hard to get up some mornings and be like, Oh man, I got to go to work today. Love my job. But, oh, I don't feel like getting up today. So it was definitely a learning lesson for me just just to experience that whole entire minor league deal. Corey, was there ever a point where you felt like you were close to breaking into the show? I mean, I know I was looking at your stats. 97 looked like it was your best year. You had 18 homers and 62 RBIs. Um, I, I know double A was the highest you ever made it, but uh, was there ever a point in your career you felt like you were you were no, really, I, really close to breaking through to the MLB like I, level? Yeah. That that year of 97, that's when I felt like I was going to kind of turn a curve. You know, I felt like I was starting to see the ball much better. I was hitting the ball much better. Um, I was in a groove to a point to where I was finding confidence in myself, telling myself, cool, you can play this game. This game is a piece of cake to you. You can play this game with no problem. You know, and then, you know, got to double A and that didn't go so well. And I attribute not going well to not being mentally strong with having other things that go on in life affect you at your job. And that's one thing that baseball taught me. You know, you can't let outside things that go on in your life affect you when you go to work. And I had some things going on here at home um, with my mom and and my agents and all that stuff. And uh, that kind of took my mindset away from baseball. So after that year of 97, I just, I wasn't really mentally there baseball my mind was always back at home worrying about my mom and you know trying to do things to make sure things are straight and you know at the end I said you know what I just need to go back and play football I want to come home you know help my mom out get her back squared you know get us back on track as a family and uh then I landed at South Carolina yeah, so you were released in 1999 after again a very long minor league career when you're released Corey I mean, did your mind, like you were talking about, did it just directly go to, I'm going to go back to South Carolina and play football? I mean, what was the, what was the thought process like after your release? Well, the thing about it, my release came because I asked for it. Um, And when I, you know, when I got released, I had teams call and saying, Hey man, we want you to come here. We want you to come there. We want you to come and play. And I said, you know, right now I got some personal issues I have to deal with. So I'm going to go home and deal with my personal issues. Um, I got home and I was talking to my mom and, you know, she was like, well, what you going to do? I said, well, I'm probably going to go back and play. And it was actually during college football season. And I wound up turning the television on and I saw Quincy Carter playing quarterback. Now me and Quincy Carter both were drafted the same year in baseball. And we, he wound up, we had the same agents for baseball and we wound up meeting. We wound up hanging out. We were knowing each other. We, we even lived together for a short stint about a couple months in the off season because he came here to Columbia and worked out with us. Um, and I said, mom, you know what? I'm going to go to school and play football. And she was like, you sure you want to do that? I was like, without a doubt. And, and at that moment I knew I was going back to school to play football. Talk about, cause you, like you said, you, it was never a doubt in your mind. You were going to South Carolina. You wanted to stay in your backyard um, obviously, Lou Holtz hired at South Carolina in 1999. Just, just talk about the first interactions with him. I mean, what was that like? Did you reach out to him and just let him know you were interested? I mean, what was kind of the yeah. recruiting process, I guess, like for you, if you will? 
Well, for me, I, it was just I, I went up there and I and I talked to Coach Oates. I met with him. I said I wanted to sit down and talk to him. So they set up a meeting. Um, his secretary said, you know, come back on whatever day, such and such. And I walked in his office, and the first thing he said, hey, Corey, you know, how you doing? I said, hey, Coach Oates, how you doing? He says, man, I recruited you in high school because when I was in high school, he was the head coach at Notre Dame. And um, it was one of those deals where he knew exactly who I was, which I felt pretty good about. I was like, oh, I must have been all right in high school, you know. And his his words to me was, you know, we would love to have you here. He said, but for the next two or three days, I'm going to find out what kind of bad information I can find out about you. <laughs> and I was, you know, that kind of took me for a loop. And I was like, uh, okay. You know, but I knew he wasn't going to find anything because, you know, I hadn't really done, I hadn't done anything bad to where, you know, he would find out any information about me. And, uh, you know, I don't know what he did. I don't know who he checked with. I don't know who he talked to. But, he, you know, I, I went back up there three days later, and he said, you know, we got a scholarship for you. You know, now we just got to check the grades and make sure everything is squared away there. And that was history. For sure. So let's talk about it, Corey. You get on campus, obviously. Was it, was it 2000 or 2001 that you officially were on the team and got on campus? Uh, it was – I think it was 2000 because I played the 2000, 2001. Um, season 2001-2002 season. Okay. okay. Um, so okay. I played the last year of the Outback Bowl. That was my first year at South Carolina. For sure. So, so I'm thinking that we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say the 2001 season, like you were mentioning, um, obviously Phil Petty, the starting quarterback for the Gamecocks, like you said, South Carolina coming off of um, an Outback Bowl victory over Ohio State. Obviously, Lou Holtz had turned the program around. You mentioned – Quincy Carter, I was curious for the game that you had tuned in to see him playing, was the five-interception game that South Carolina sort of broke through, and you could see the way the program was turning around under Lou Holtz. Um, talk right. about, though, obviously, again, you played the quarterback position. Talk about your relationship with Phil Petty, because, again, I know in 2001 you more so sort of spelled him, if you will. I, obviously, you were used in different right. situations. You were very effective, I might right. add, in those different situations. But just talk about your relationship with Phil Petty and what you learned from him in that 2001 season. Well, for me, you know, I, I, came, I came back as, uh, you know, as a quarterback. Um, when I first signed on to South Carolina, I wound up having to go to junior college for two years because of the core courses requirements and changes. And so I was actually going to Garden City Community College to play safety. And the day that I got there, their starting quarterback broke his collarbone, so they moved me to quarterback. And I wound up playing quarterback for two years at Garden City Community College. And so when I came back to South Carolina in 2000, 2001, you know, coach said, hey, you know, we're going to play you at quarterback. You're going to be a backup quarterback. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm here to compete for a starting job. And, you know, of course, I've watched games. You know, I, I, I've watched and, and I knew who the starting quarterback was. And my relationship with Phil, we hit it off pretty good from day one. You know, it was, uh, you know, hey, man, I'm glad you're here. You know, um, because of Coach Holt's style of offense, you know, he likes to run the quarterback a lot. And we all know, you know, Phil's not a running quarterback. He's a very smart guy. He he reads defenses very well. But, of course, running is not his strong suit. He can run the ball. He can get positive yards running. He did. But, you know, we just – you know, we know him. I, I know Phil as a smart, sit-in-the-pocket, pick-you-apart type of quarterback. And I learned a lot of things from him. And, you know, he taught me things about the offense. He taught me things about reading defenses. So my relationship with him actually became pretty good. And I told him, I said, man, I'm not here to try to take your job or I'm not here to try to sit you down. I'm here to help this team win. And and that's and whatever it is, 
that I need to do or whatever role that I have to play, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I'm willing to go play it. Yeah, Corey, you mentioned as far as, uh, you know, Lou Holtz obviously wanting to bring you in as a backup quarterback. Did he talk about what he wanted you to do as far as the uh, – as your role was concerned? Because, again, like you mentioned, I mean, you were used in a lot of different situations. I feel like South Carolina's offense sort of evolved under Lou Holtz. You know, obviously, when you think of Lou Holtz, you think of the wing T formation, those those stacked formations. But South Carolina, I feel like, really spread it out a lot more in 2001 especially. I mean, what, what was the specific role that he had for you? And did, what were the different packages, I guess, that, uh, you know, he wanted you to work out of? Well, he, of course, when I came in the game, it was, okay, we're going to pound it down your throat now because this kid can run the ball. He's a he's a tough, physical athlete that's playing quarterback. You know, we can put him at different positions, but we're going to put him at quarterback. And when I look back on it, you know, that was, to me, was kind of the start of the Wildcat. You know, no nobody was really, I don't think, doing that type of offense. Um, he did that with Tony Rice at Notre Dame you know, back in the day, and they wind up winning the national championship. And it just so happens my first day at practice, I go in my go in my locker and I got a, a number nine jersey. That's the same number Tony Rice wore at Notre Dame. So, which I was fine with. You know, I, I didn't mind. One of the guys kind of threw that out there. And uh, Skip, you know, was more so the guy that said, hey, you know, here's your packages. Here's what we're going to teach you. You know, here's what I want you to do. And, you know, they never really limited me on throwing the ball at first. You know, they, they I did it a lot in practice, and I did it some in games, but they wanted to use my strength, which was running the ball, just being tough, running between the tackles, using my speed, running outside, whatever it may be. And um, that was my role my first year as, as a junior. You know, I was a backup quarterback to feel, and, you know, when the games got tight or, you know, when we needed those tough couple yards and we wanted to kind of kill the clock and run the ball a little bit, Corey Jenkins goes in the game. So, Corey, that 2001 season, let's really dive into it. You got limited action in the first game against Boise State, no action against Georgia. Uh, Mississippi State, the third game of the year at Mississippi State, which was a really emotional game. You guys brought back college football from 9-11, but you burst out on the scene, I feel like, that game. You had 11 carries for 75 yards, 6.8-yard average. Um, just, just talk about that game a little bit, obviously the emotions of that game. And do you feel like that was the game? Obviously, you know, you know, you're a good athlete, you know, you're a very capable athlete, but I mean, you hadn't played football in so long. Do you feel like that was the game where you sort of came back on the scene and sort of told yourself, Hey, I can, I can do this at a really high level. Well, I, I think I learned that when I was in junior college, I felt like, you know, my junior college record was like 24 and two and we lost my, my second year as a uh, we lost to Glendale, Arizona in the Junior College National Championship. Uh, my first year in JUCO, I was started off as a backup quarterback, and we ran a, we ran sort of the same offense we run at Carolina. And I wound up getting into the starting role and running. And so I knew that I could play at a high level, and that Mississippi State game just kind of solidified it for me. Um, to go out there on that one drive, you know, and, and that was, people don't understand, that was the one drive that I got in. The one drive I got in, I had 11 carries for, like you say, 77 yards, and we wound up getting the game-winning field goal on that play, you know, on that drive. And that, you know, that drive helped us win the game. And I just felt like, you know, that was the, the game that everybody in the country was watching because of 9-11. That was the first game after 9-11 that was being televised, and I think everybody just wanted something normal 
And I wasn't thinking of it that way. I was just going out there to say, you know what, let's go out here and let's move this ball and let's go get a touchdown to kind of put this game away. And the rest is history. No doubt. So that 2001 season, obviously, Corey, very successful with the Gamecocks. Before Steve Spurrier got there, I mean, you could really argue it was one of the best seasons in Gamecock history. Still really is. I mean, South Carolina finished 9-3 and three overall, 5-3 and three in the SEC, and, you know, finished it off with another win over Ohio State in the, the, uh, the Outback Bowl. I, I want to go to another game, though, during that 2001 season, and that is the home game against Clemson. Um, obviously, still one of the high, highest attended games at, at williams Bryce Stadium. I think 85,000 on the dot were in the building that day. You had a rushing touchdown in that one, um, eight carries for 22 yards and a rushing touchdown. I know, again, you grew up in Columbia. I'm sure you were a Gamecock. You're someone very familiar with the rivalry. Um, just talk about that day in general and then how cool it was to, uh, to contribute in a winning victory for the Gamecocks over Clemson. Man, let me tell you, I had no idea how much playing time I was going to get that game. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was like, but I got to play against these guys because I've been waiting to play against them for so long. And, you know, this is a big-time rival game, and I just feel like, you know what, I need to be a part of this. And um, in that game also, you know, it got down to, to crunch time, and uh, we needed to, to score, and we got down to the goal line, and Coach said, all right, Corey, let's go, you know, and – inserted me into the game and the next thing you know I had a game-winning touchdown run and so it was for me it was like one of the best feelings that I've had in college football to be a part of a, such a big win and victory against a team that's a big-time rival and I've come to learn that the fans take the game a lot more serious than the players do <laughs> so um but it was it was a joy to be a part of that for sure. So let's talk about a little bit that Outback Bowl, Corey. Obviously, the Gamecocks, again, beat Ohio State for the second straight year in a game that was a blowout for most of the time. Ohio State storms back, and then uh, Daniel Weaver seals it on a game-winning field goal. Gamecocks win 31-28. Just, just sort of encapsulate, I guess, that entire 2001 season, if you will, because, you know, you grew up, you knew, you're very familiar with the Gamecocks football program, and you know, the success or lack thereof it had had, you know, up to that point. To see South Carolina win back-to-back Outback Bowls, obviously, at that point was a huge, huge statement and huge stepping stone for the program. And to be a part of it for you, talk about what that was like to to be a part of that second straight Outback Bowl victory in that 2001 season in general. Well, man, I tell you, that was one of the biggest deals also to me. You know, being able to go down to Tampa and actually getting to see my first NFL game um, I got to watch Tampa Bay play the Ravens. And so that was my first live action of seeing an NFL game, um, being with the guys, hanging out at the bowl game. And you're playing against a Big 12 powerhouse team in Ohio State who is looking for, I'm sure, some type of revenge because of the year before. And we go out and we, we play a really tough and physical game and we jump out on them. And the next thing you know, Weaver comes in and he kicks a field goal. And, again, we win a game. You know, and I was happy to be a part of that game as well. So um, that was – I think that was a big stepping stone in, in South Carolina history. And I, I think that helped turn the program around big time with those two wins. No doubt. So, moving into the 2002 season, obviously, Corey, things changed a little bit for you. Phil Petty graduated and left. Um, you had, you know, you you taking over as a starting quarterback role. Talk about that battle, I guess, in the offseason or really lack of lack thereof. What was that offseason like going into 2002? Did Coach Lou Holtz let you know that, 
you know, the position was yours to lose or was it a, an ongoing competition in the offseason? Just, just talk about your, uh, the, the battle for the starting quarterback job going to 2 In that 2 in, in season, it was uh, free-for-all. We didn't have a starting quarterback. It was let's battle us out and see who's going to be the starting quarterback. And, you know, I went and talked with Coach Holtz, and the next thing you know, I saw it to the – he told me, he said, well, we're not sure if we're going to leave that quarterback. We may move you over to defense because I think we may need you over there more than we have quarterback. But we're going to go through spring ball, and we're going to see if Dondrell and the other guys can get the job done as a starting quarterback. And so, you know, it was more so for me, I was just kind of the first – First first week or two, I was just kind of just going through the motions. You know, we were splitting reps with the ones and twos, and, you know, everybody was getting equal amount of reps. And, you know, after that second week, Coach Holt said, hey, man, you're, you're going to be starting quarterback. So get your mind right to play quarterback. And that's what I did. Got my mind right to play quarterback. And next thing you know, going into the season, I was a starting QB. For sure. So talk about, did anything, what if, what if anything changed for you going into 2002, knowing you're the starting quarterback? Obviously you burst on the scene in 2002, that first game, I would say against New Mexico State. I mean, 20 carries, 113 yards. You also threw for 166 yards and a touchdown. Um, I know you guys, especially coming off back-to-back Outback Bowl wins, you know, we all know 2002 season didn't go the way you wanted it, but I know the expectations were sky high. You open up with a blowout win. Um, Correct. What, what or what changed for you, if anything, going into that 2002 season? Well, I just I just wanted to dedicate myself more. Um, I knew I was going to be that guy, so I wanted to to come come in and and, and kind of lead the team in a way that I saw done the previous years. You know, I want I wanted to go out and say, you know what, if I'm going to be the starting quarterback here tonight, I got to carry myself with such, and I got to work hard and I got to do things a certain way so that I can be that starting quarterback so that I can be that leader. And um, so it wasn't really a, a big difference. I've always worked hard. I've always kind of pushed myself. And so I just I just kind of felt like, you know, it's football, go work hard, go through the field, and, and let all the other guys see what you're doing. And so that's how I took it. No doubt. Like I mentioned, Corey, that, that 2002 season I thought was very, very interesting because there were a couple of games there that you guys were really, really close. I mean, I think at Virginia, the Georgia game, obviously, which I want to get to in just a second, uh, the Clemson game, you know, Tennessee, there were a lot of close games for you guys that year that really could have turned the tide of the season the other way. But the one I want to ask you about, Corey, specifically is the Georgia game because that's another one, like I mentioned, Clemson, one of the most sold-out games at williams Bryce Stadium. The environment, the intensity is – you know, through the roof, South Carolina's beaten Georgia two to- two years in a row, trying to go for three straight. Um, before I get to the play that you know I'm going to ask you about, talk about just the energy and intensity that you felt that day going into Williams-Brice. I'm sure running through 2001, running through the smoke had to be, had to be insane. You know, that, that day for me was probably the most electrifying day at Williams-Brice, except for the first day I ran out of this fourth state because then there was a doom come but that game against Georgia, you know, we, we we had it in our minds. Like, we knew they were going to come in fired up because we beat them two years in a row, and the games have all been close, you know. And so coming out to 2001 on that, and it's like, oh, man, sold-out stadium. And then the, then, then the storm hits, you know. And I felt like we were in such a great rhythm before the rain came. <laughs> and when the rain came, that just kind of threw us off, and I'm like, oh, man. Now we got to sit down for an hour or so 
and we got to watch the lightning and wait till everything clears. And I think that just kind of threw us out of the groove. Um, but that was very electrifying. That was one of the one of my funnest games ever planned, good and bad. No doubt. So I, I unfortunately want to get to the bad though, Corey. Because, but I think this is really interesting because everybody knows about the David Pollock play. I feel like when I was growing up, it was something that was just replayed over and over and over and over and over and again. It, but and it's, and it's still played. It's still played whenever people. And when people right. think of David Pollock, a lot of them think. I think Gamecock fans specifically think of that play. But I don't know. I I know for a fact I've never heard your side of the story. So from the guy on the other end of that play. Um, talk about just that play in general, what you saw, I guess, what you didn't see, and just sort of how that play unraveled. Because obviously it was a crazy football play. I mean, tip of the cap to David Pollock, it was a fantastic play. But just a crazy football play overall and a play that obviously changed the, uh, changed the course of that game. Correct. Well, I mean, it was it – was, we, we were, you know, pin deep, pin deep on our um, – pin deep in our own territory. And so we, we tried to get outside – you know, just kind of move the pocket, try to get them moved around. And uh, actually, Pollock was supposed to get cut on that play, and he fought it off. And he's a high-motor, high-energy type of guy. And, and, you know, and I saw him coming, and, and I went to kind of actually get rid of that ball, you know, just kind of throw it away. And uh, I think the rest is just kind of history <laughs> because um, that is one of those plays that happens once in a million years. You know, you, you, we hadn't seen a play like that since that time, you know, he, he went to bat that ball away. And normally, you know, you bat a ball away, that ball bats out of the end zone or bats down to the ground. But he goes to hit it, and the next thing you know, it hits off the top of my helmet, rolls down my back, and falls right into his arm as he's on the ground. So, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. How, how shocked were you when you realized what had happened? Because, I mean, I, I just have to imagine, like you said, there's just no way that play can happen, and it did. Yeah, I mean, again, I – I looked at the ref and was like, huh, how is that a touchdown? Because I saw him with his arms up in the air, and I was like, how is that a touchdown? And he said, hey, man, he caught it. He caught it off your back. And I was like, oh, my God, how did that happen? So, of course, so of course, I had to, to, to watch it on the screen and, and see it. And, you know, it was it was more shocking after the fact because that was the only touchdown he scored that game. No doubt. So that 2002 season again, Corey, I, I don't want to keep harping on it. Didn't go the way that you guys wanted as a team. But overall, I think you had a pretty solid year. I mean, you scored 14 touchdowns overall, you know, ran for 956 yards. You threw for over 1,500 yards. How would you grade yourself or judge yourself on your first and really only year being a starting quarterback for South Carolina? Well, I mean, I felt like, again, we had a lot of games where the ball could have bounced several different ways, you know, and I don't feel bad about the season. We went five and seven. I felt like we played really, really hard every game we were into, and we had a chance to win just about every game that we played. And, uh, you know, again, football is one of those games where you got to kind of, you know, hope you get the ball to bounce your way sometimes. And, you know, that's how you get national championship teams and teams with really good records. You know, it's, it's very seldom you see a team just blow everybody out and win games hands down. It's always one of those deals where, you know, if you have a really good season, you just you have the ball bounce your way sometimes. And we just couldn't get the ball to bounce our way during that year. For sure. So one thing I wanted to ask you a little bit earlier, Corey, I forgot about it. Obviously, when you were in college, I mean, you were, let's see, what you were, I believe, what, a 
25 and 26 years old or 24 and 25? Yeah, just, 24, 24, 25, right. 24, 25. <laughs> so obviously older than the, the typical freshman, sophomore, junior, whatever. Just, just kind of talk about what that dynamic was like. I mean, and I feel like probably just because of seniority as far as how much older you were, I mean, were you able to come in and take over as a leader pretty quickly because of that? Um. Well, no, they, they looked at me as one of them. You know, they didn't look at me as an age guy, like, oh, that's a really older guy. He's a grown man. You know, they looked at me as, as being a teenage kid coming in to play football. So, you know, it, um, you know they, they, they took advantage of some of the age stuff. <laughs> but for the most part, it was, uh, it was, I was pretty equal to all of those guys. No doubt. So let's talk about Corey. Obviously, a huge, uh, a huge date in your life. Two thousand three. You're taken in the sixth round, one hundred eighty first pick by the Miami Dolphins. You know, it's it's impressive to be drafted in one sport by one team or by a team in one sport. But you're one of the rare people that has been drafted in the NFL and MLB draft. Talk about that moment in two thousand three. The Miami Dolphins give you the call. I, you know, I'm sure that playing professional football had been a dream of yours. But talk about when you got that call. What was that like? Uh, that was that was kind of one of those deals that you believe it and you, and you don't believe it. You know, um, I had no idea where I was going to go. I had no idea I was going to get drafted. You know, not, none of that stuff stood out to me. You know, with me changing positions that last game of the season and playing linebacker versus Clemson, I was just kind of, you know, happy just to be a Gamecock and graduate a Gamecock and just pray for the next deal. And when I got that phone call, it was, again, it was surreal. So I was extremely happy, but my next thought was, how am I going to make that team? <laughs> you know, Coach Wanstead called and said, hey, man, you know, we're going to draft in the sixth round right now with the next pick, um, and we're going to bring you in as a linebacker. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm like, I played linebacker one game, and I get drafted as a linebacker, and I'm like, uh. But I was a football player. I didn't care where you played me at. I didn't care what position put me at I felt like I could play anywhere on the field so I was excited about it and the rest was history what was that transition transition like for you from college to the NFL because like you said I mean not only are you going up in I mean skill level which is a major jump again from college to the NFL but you're changing positions as well um just talk about that transition for you yeah I, I don't think people understand how tough that is <laughs> how tough that was, um, you know, when, when you change positions and you're at the highest level that you could play at, that's, that's very tough and very trying. But toughness is something that's hard to teach someone. And when you're a tough guy, when you love being physical, it kind of really doesn't matter what position they put you out. You can excel at it and ex excel at it. I'm sorry. And when they pulled me in and said, hey, you're going to play linebacker, I was that quarterback in college that never ran out of bounds. I didn't slide. I didn't take a knee. Like, either you're going to get me or I'm going to get you. I'm going to hit you in the mouth or you're going to hit me in the mouth. And that's the mentality I took when I went in um, to play linebacker with the Dolphins. And so I said, you know what? You just get to go hit them in the mouth now. And I enjoyed it. Every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So you spent time with the Dolphins, the Bears, back with the Dolphins in 2005, and also even played in the CFL mm -hmm. with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. When you look back on your professional football career, what, what stands out to you the most? 
um, just that I was able to play at that level. You know, um, the older you get, the the more you start to understand life and the more you start to see how things pan out. And, you know, being able to play in the NFL and in CFL and play Major League Baseball, we all know that's, that's dreams of every kid that plays a sport to be a professional, you know, athlete in that sport. And you have a better chance at being a doctor than you do at playing in NFL or playing in MLB. Um, because of the numbers, you know, there's only 32 NFL teams, you know, there's only so many baseball teams and, you know, to get to that level, you know, that is a really, really tough task to do, a tough thing to do. And I was just blessed to be able to do it, you know, and, and, and I love every minute of it. And, you know, when people see and hear and they talk to me, they're like, oh man, you played two sports and yada, yada. And I'm like, yeah, I did, you know, and, and, and I keep it, you know, real with them. And I tell them, I'm like, it, that ain't no easy task, buddy. You know, it's it's one of them things that it just doesn't happen. And I think a lot of college kids and high school kids now think it's just one of those easy things to do. But, you know, being older, I realize how tough that is and how blessed you are to be able to play uh, Major League Baseball and NFL football. When you saw the success of uh, of the Gamecocks baseball program, I'm sure when you were at South Carolina as well, I mean, they went to Omaha in 2002. Was there a small side of you that wished you could have played for uh, for Ray Tanner in the baseball program? Oh, man, of course, man. I, I would have loved to have played baseball. I would have loved to have played baseball and football at South Carolina. Um, that, that would have been because I'm a huge and still is a huge Bo Jackson fan. <laughs> so, you know, watching him grow up, you know, watching him growing up and, and watching him do baseball and football is something I wanted to do, you know. And so – I, uh, you know, had a chance to do that, and I didn't get to do it at South Carolina, but, you know, I, I got to do it professionally. So uh, I've enjoyed that. I feel like I'm in a pretty small group of, of men that have played two professional sports. Without a doubt. So talk about you hang up the cleats from the football field in 2007, Corey. Did your mind immediately shift to uh, to coaching? Because obviously that's what you're in now. You spent time with the Gamecocks as a – assistant strength coach, which I want to get to in just a second, but what was your thought process? I mean, did you think you were going to stay, you know, obviously stay in sports, stay in coaching? What was the kind of the next step for you? When I got done, when I got done playing, I really didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I I really didn't know which avenue I was going to take. Um, I knew I wanted to do something close to sports um, and something dealing with kids because I I love kids and I love being that positive influence to them to, to let them know like, you know, any and everything is just about possible if you work hard at it and, and if you, you, you put your mind to it. And again, you know, I wound up uh, working for the Department of Commerce, which I had to put on a suit and tie every day, um, sit behind a desk and look at a computer. I got to go out in the field a little bit and talk to kids with that job. Um, but that, you know, I, I found out pretty quickly that's not what I wanted to do. And then I got into training. Um, I worked at Gold's Gym for eight years, nine years. Uh, I think 10 years, actually, and and I became a general manager there. So I ran gyms. I ran the Ghost Gyms here in Columbia, um, and I trained at first, and I enjoyed training people, getting people in shape, changing people's lives um, to, with them just feeling better about themselves. And, and, and then uh, I got the call. Um, you know, what people don't understand is when I was with the Dolphins that third year, um, that's when Nick Saban took over, and Coach Muschamp was – you know, basically the linebacker slash defense coordinator with Nick Saban that year, you know, and that's when I, that's when I met Coach Mustamp. And so with meeting Coach Mustamp there, 
you know, when he got the job here, he called, you know, he wound up calling me. He was going around to all the area schools. And the next thing you know, he went to Drear High School where my sister works. And my sister said, you know, my brother used to play for you. And uh, he wound up giving me a call right then and there. And we talked and I went and met with him. And the next thing you know, I was, uh, I got that job as a strength coach at, at uh, Carolina. That's awesome. So obviously, yeah, let's get to that. You spent 2016 to 2018 with the Gamecocks as an assistant strength coach. Obviously, um, because of your relationships with Mush Hampshire, you were very, very high on the hire. Just kind of talk about, I guess, talk about your experience because as someone in the building, you know, you really got to see, you know, Coach Muschamp obviously mm-hmm. took over a, let's just be honest, a broken program, if you will, after the Spurrier era Correct. ended and really mm-hmm. has been building it back up piece by piece, bringing in talent each and every year, and I think is doing a fantastic job at it. But just just talk about, again, from the perspective of someone in the building, um, just your experience working with Coach Muschamp in the Gamecock football program. And, you know, I, I think, you know, pe- people kind of question – Coach Muschamp and what he has going on and and how they can change it, but I tell you, man, Coach Muschamp is a hell of a coach. I think he will get that program turned around. I like his coaching style. Um, I like how he coaches. And for me, it was a I was very excited to be a part of his first year. Um, and I think you know with the standards he set that first year, you know with winning nine games, you know that kind of set the standard up. Oh, oh, you know we we got ourselves a coach here. And so now, you know, and we know all, we all know too well how the South Carolina fans are. You win nine games, you got to repeat that every year or more. You know, anything less than that is unsatisfactory to them. And, you know, they, they're going to criticize, and it's hard to keep everybody happy. But I think Coach Munchamp's going to do a hell of a job. No doubt. So, obviously, you've moved on since then, Corey. Like I mentioned earlier at South Carolina State, coaching tight ends and fullbacks, just – uh I guess talk about the, uh, you know, how that sort of transpired and how things are going at South Carolina State. Well, you know, when I, when I first met with Coach Munchamp, he, you know, he asked me what's my ultimate goal. And I told him, you know, Coach, I want to be a position coach. You know, like I want to coach football. That's what I want to do. And um, the next thing you know, he said, well, you know, we'll start you off in the weight room and, and you know, we'll just kind of work our way from there. And uh, Coach Pugh, I wound up getting in contact with Coach Pugh two years after that. And, uh, he said, hey, I got a job for you. So my first year there, which was last year, I wound up just coaching tight ends. Um, and after coaching tight ends, uh, this year I'm coaching tight ends and fullbacks. I'm sorry, the running backs and fullbacks. Um, our fullback is kind of like our tight end hybrid guy. Yeah, gotcha. And I think, you know, with, with, our, with my knowledge of the game on both sides of the ball, you know, I think that helps me a lot, and, and it helps me explain to the kids a lot. You know, I can tell them, hey, this is what this defensive guy is thinking when you're lined up a certain way or when he see a certain, you know, when he see a certain formation, you know, and I can tell them, like, as an offensive guy, this is what you need to look at because when a defense sets up this way, this is probably what you're going to get. So I feel like I, I got the best of both worlds with knowing offense and defense, and I'm able to, to kind of let the kids know that stuff. So it works out pretty good for me. For sure. So, Corey, I'm going to get you out of here, but lastly, before I let you go, I actually have two more questions for you. Jumping back into the Gamecocks, um, because obviously you're okay. someone that still very, very closely follows the program. And again, you were literally with South Carolina a year ago. Just talk about your thoughts on not necessarily the program that Will Muschamp's building, because we already went over that, but going into the 2019 season. Obviously, SEC Media Days this week, Will Muschamp and South Carolina spoke on Wednesday. 
Um, everyone wants to talk about this difficult schedule and, you know, what's to come with the schedule. You know, I, I for one, Corey, I know you see it this way as well. I, for one, when you talk about that schedule, I see it as more so look at all the areas for opportunity for South Carolina on a national stage to go out and upset someone or win a big game. Just, just talk about uh, what you see for the 2019 mm -hmm. season for this Gamecocks football program. Well, I think this is a great opportunity. Yeah, it's probably it is without a doubt the toughest schedule in the country. But you know what? In order to sit on top of that throne, these are the type of schedules you have to play. Um, these are the type of teams you have to go against. And I think it gives us a chance to really look at ourselves and see where we are as a program. And I think it's going to be a lot better than what most people think. You know, most people got us to the point to where we, we probably may win four, maybe five games this year. Um, and I think we're going to win some of those games that people think we're not supposed to. And, you know, and I think, again, that gives us a chance to measure up our program to some of the best programs in the country. And being able to play a hard schedule, you know, this year, you know, next year maybe the schedule won't be as hard. But you know what? We'll be mentally prepared with having a young team playing a tough schedule this year. We, You know, this is something we can build on for the years to come. So I think the 2019 season does show a lot of opportunity, gives us a lot of opportunity, and I, and I think we're going to do some things that a lot of people don't think we can do. Without a doubt, for sure. So, Corey, before I let you go, one last question, um, kind of off the wall, sort of funny question. Give me your, okay. your, your funniest or best Lou Holtz story um, from when you were at South Carolina, ones that you can tell, maybe one that you can tell on the airwaves. Well, uh, <laughs> on the airwaves, okay. Um, I think my toughest, my, my funniest moment for him that I can go back to, um, you know, when I first came to South Carolina, you know, we have that freshman practice before camp. And we have like two or three days that we practice before, you know, they bring out all the veteran guys, you know, and during those practices, Coach Holtz was patting me on the head, like, you know, giving me positive feedback, you know, basically telling me how good I can be, you know, and, and the good things that I'm doing never really said anything bad to me. And then the first day that the vet guys came out, you know, and of course I kind of moved back, you know, and said the first day that I came, uh, the first day the vets came out, I threw a pass and it was incomplete. And I heard Coach Holtz, <laughs> he pulled me, he pulled me in front of everybody and he said to me, son, you will never play quarterback here throwing a ball like that. And I was like, holy smokes, <laughs> like, where did that guy come from? Like, he, that was a guy I didn't know of. And, you know, um, at that moment, that's when Phil pulled me to the side and said, hey, man, you're going to get a lot worse than that. So just go ahead and prepare yourself. He said, that's just him being him. And I'm one of those guys, you can coach me hard. I'm okay with being coached hard. I, I don't have a problem with that. So, But that, that was probably the funniest thing that's happened to me at South Carolina on the coach host. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Corey, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. I mean, like I said, it was a pleasure to speak with you. I know, uh, you yeah, know, sure. as, as a Gamecock fan, it, it, uh, it was a pleasure to watch you in the Garnet and Black and obviously throughout your career, multi-sport star, and to see what you're doing at South Carolina State as well. I know Gamecock fans will be certainly following along with you, and who knows, hopefully, maybe and hopefully one day we'll see you on the sidelines, maybe coaching a position unit or uh, in some sort of coordinator role, bring you back home to Columbia. Well, you know what, that is, that is, that would be the ultimate goal, you know, to not only be a player for South Carolina, but to be an actual position coach at the University of South Carolina. And so, you know, I'm going to keep grinding at this thing and keep coaching and, and we'll just kind of see where it goes. You know, hopefully somebody uh, have it in their heart to say, you know what, let's hire this guy. He could be a great recruiter here 
at South Carolina. He's from Columbia. He knows the area. You know, he knows the state of South Carolina. People here know him. So he, he would be a good guy to go in a school and get a kid and talk to him about playing at home and being in his backyard. So, you know, we'll just sit and pray about it and we'll see what happens. Coach Muschamp, you hear it. Give Corey a call. Let's get him. Let's bring him home. So, Corey, appreciate yeah. it again, man. Let's uh, let's yes, definitely sir. do it Thank again you. sometime for it. sure. Yes, sir, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, perfect. So, for Corey Jenkins, right. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.